House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. Now today we have Cutter Woods, uh, author, and uh, we mentioned him a little bit before, so uh, we're going to be talking to him about his new book that just came out uh, on the 17th here, Love and Death in the Sunshine State, um, Story of a Crime. So welcome, Cutter Woods. How are you doing? Great, great. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Always Always a pleasure. Um, so, now this is um, interesting. Uh, now, is this your first book? It is my first book, yeah, yeah. So, that's an interesting. How did you uh, get into writing? And I, I kind of know a little bit about this story, but I think it's kind of interesting. So, tell us how you got to write this book and, and how it came about. Sure. So, you know, I, I when I started this book, I'd. Uh, Graduated from college not too long before, was kind of, uh, you know, an English major, very typically at loose ends. I went down to see some family in Florida, and I happened to stay at this little motel on Anna Maria Island, which is on the Gulf Coast of Florida near Tampa. You know, didn't didn't think too much about it, uh, left and never really thought I would go back. <laughs> and then some months later, I, I got this clipping in the mail. My mother had sent it, actually. And uh, it just showed this motel where I'd stayed just covered in flames, just this huge mass of fire. Ooh. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I thought, well, that's strange. Uh, and as I kind of read more into this article, I uh, learned that this woman had disappeared. They'd been looking all over for her, and then this fire had kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, and what really caught my attention was just, one, this, this woman was just, really a very kind of spectacularly interesting person, very, very loving, very thoughtful, very beloved in the community. Um, and then so people's reactions to her, dis- to her disappearance were just absolutely strange. You know, I, I read some in the paper, and then when I went down and started interviewing people, because I, you know, I, I really kind of got hooked, um, people were, they saw her at the dentist's office. They saw her at a bar with a man dressed like a pimp. They saw her at the Salvation Army in the Circle K Convenience Mart. Uh, somebody saw her at the airport getting on a flight. The, the strangest one, I talked to a woman who was very convinced that, uh, very early on that Sabina had been murdered and that uh, uh, her, she was going to communicate from the afterlife via her pet parrot. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, when I, when I realized the effect that this was having on the place, I, I just felt like there was something that it needed to be explored. Well, you know, that's kind of that's, that's kind of a strange scenario. Did did you know her very well while you stayed there? Not at all, not at all. I, and in fact, you know, I, I think we might have crossed paths once when we, you know, I was out looking at her pet parrot. Yeah. <laughs> and I think she might have been there too. But no, I was, didn't know her whatsoever really. Wow. So, so do you know what kind of made you want to find out kind of the truth or kind of go for the uh, writing? Yeah. Was there a reason that drew you? <laughs> there was, in fact. And this, this is uh, a decent part of the book as well. 
the, you know, when I, I kind of got down there, I was just, initially I thought I would maybe write something about the way her disappearance had affected the community, you know, and the way these people had kind of taken that space where there used to be a person and, and filled it with all of these fears and hopes. Um, and the more I got into it, the more I realized there was a whole different story going on there. Uh, it was actually kind of about this woman's relationship. She'd, she'd moved in with a man two months before she disappeared. Um, and it was kind of about the unraveling of that relationship. Uh, and it was, I guess what really hooked me was I, I also had just moved in with someone, uh, my girlfriend then now, thankfully my wife. And, uh, we were going through some of these exact same struggles, you know, the, Oh, why, why are there dishes in the sink? Why is there hair in the drain? <laughs> these things where, you know, and I, I would go through the court records. I remember going through the court records and seeing at one point in time, her boyfriend and like a, a previous altercation had said to someone, why do you defy me? Um, and that those words just echoed in my head all the time when I would go back home after interviewing people and I'd, you know, be in this house, which just was no longer my house all by myself, you know, no longer uh, my own train that was shared. And I was just always thinking, why do you defy me? <laughs> um, so I felt, I felt a lot like my research into this was also kind of a, a very personal research about how to, how to live, a, a, how to be nice in a relationship, I guess, would be the, the blunt way to put it. Well, it, it, it's always a process, right? It, you know, to live with someone um, newly, and everybody kind of has their own lifestyle and habits. It's a, it's a process. I don't. Yeah, process is a very kind way to put it. Well, because <laughs> it's very, it's very seldom super easy. I mean, because the passion, yeah. passion and love wear off somewhat, and then you're dealing with like hair in the drain, or someone that doesn't do dishes, or someone that leaves their laundry mm -hmm. on the floor, you know, there's a, uh, th yeah, it's just, uh, I should be clear, by the way, I should be clear. I was the one who wasn't doing dishes. <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of figured that, <laughs> but yeah. you know, but that's just, that's just, uh, being human and that's sort of what we do. Uh, now, why do you think now, yeah. now this, this, this woman was married as well as had the boyfriend. Is that true? Mm -hmm. So that's where, true. Yeah. She, I was going to say, go where, ahead. Was, where was the husband? So they actually, they, they still live together. Um, and you know, I, I, he would never, he was a very, a very nice man. Very, very kind to me. He actually let me stay at the motel while I was working on the project. Um, but he, he didn't want to talk to me about his wife. Uh, I think he had been, he felt kind of that the case had been a little sensationalized, uh, in the local media and he, he wasn't interested in, in partaking it more. Right. So I want to talk about him, kind of protect his his privacy a little bit. Um, but you know, they basically they had just become estranged. They'd been married for a while, uh, and it had become clear that they were kind of still friends, still co-owners of this motel, um, but were really very openly doing their own things. Yeah, I, I understand that part. I, I you know I know people that do that actually, and I just I just not. Um, so he, but she actually had this boyfriend move in with her. So she rented an apartment for, uh, oh. the two of them to live together. Yeah. So she had a, a house with her husband and an apartment also on the island with, with her boyfriend. Wow. 
So uh, she was busy. Yeah. She was, yes. Yes, she was. She was definitely a, a, a very, somebody who didn't, didn't let time escape from her, you know? Right, right. She was making the best. Something a lot of people told me she was exactly making the best of her life and, and just a, a very passionate person. Well, um, so now I, I know you're trying to keep the husband out of it and the name, all that, so, you know, so, but I was just, mm-hmm. just one thing I, I wanted to, so was he okay with her having a separate apartment with this boyfriend? <clears throat> just, or, or do you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it was very much a matter of contention. Um, not because I don't my interpretation based on what people have told me, not because he was angry about the relationship, but I think actually because he, he cared about her and he, he felt like this boyfriend was bad news possibly. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, he actually, he asked that the boyfriend not be allowed to come to the motel at all. And, uh, that was kind of what drove them to get this apartment together. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can see that, but uh, you know, but then uh, can I ask, do you know why didn't they just divorce? Like wh- why not just, you know, go for the the legal divorce and move on? Great question. I <laughs> and I can't say that I have the answer on that one. Um, I don't know if anybody knows that and I don't even know if they knew that. The answer well, to that one. Because, because to me that means if you know, because if they're staying together for the motel, you know, for the business, that's that's one thing, but um, why not divorce and separate? And you can still be co-owners of the motel, and you can still run it and split profits. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't have to be married to run a business with someone. So, I just—that's mm-hmm. uh, curious to me. I, I, unless they kind I, of uh, liked it this way. Yeah, I mean, my impression was they—they they kind of had a nice life, even if they were no longer uh, romantically involved. Right. Uh, oh, that's kind of crazy. But, you know, well, yeah, well, it's really, it's, kind of, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, so now, do we know how she met his uh, boyfriend? How did they, how did he come into play? Where did, where did he come from? Great question, yeah. So he actually, he, uh, his name's William Cumber. He came down to the island in the early 2000s, kind of with a, a girlfriend from North Carolina, did a number of different things. He had kind of a checkered past. Uh, he was, I think he was arrested on a number of charges, um, and he showed up one day at the motel. He's a, a very good woodworker. He showed up at the motel asking if he could just do some odd jobs. Um, and they took him on, and he met uh, Sabina, who's, the woman who went missing and her husband, Tom. And uh, I think that day or maybe two days later or something, the police showed up and arrested him. Oh. <laughs> he had, yeah, uh, turned out that they'd uh, gotten the information to to arrest him for an arson charge. Uh, and he was sent to prison, right? Oh. And then the, the strange and interesting thing here is that he is a very common thing, right? That he then wrote them a letter from prison, just asking if they could, you know, asking them, thanking them for their help, and asking them if they could help them out at all. Uh, you know, sending deodorant or shoes or things like that. Um, and Tom, the husband, I think, was not so keen on this, but Sabina was a very, you know, 
the kind of person who would help anybody she thought was in need. Particularly, I mean, especially she was very, very gung-ho for animals, and I, I think just had a soft spot for anybody who needed help. Uh, so she wrote back to him and eventually, um, you know, would send him stuff. Eventually, I think, went to see him in prison, and, and they kind of stuck, struck up a, a friendship. And when he would uh, basically get released on furlough, he would come and do kind of like a work release sort of thing at, at the motel. And over the course of all of this, they, they fell in love, really. Uh, so that when he, when he got out, she had this apartment there waiting for him. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that if I, you know, if I had an employee that I just hired in two days, he got arrested for arson and put in prison. I'm not sure that I would continue to use that employee. You can, you can see why Tom had some reservations about this whole thing. Well, no, um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Because um, uh, two, yeah. two days or a couple of days, whatever it is, you're really not getting to know the person. It's not like you're, you've been an employee for five years and you really know them and so you you know want to help them. A couple of days, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, wow, well, that was a bad choice. Mm-hmm. So move on. Well, this, this Madeline Cumber, too, you know, he's, it should be noted that he's also he's a very, very pleasant man. Um People, fairly handsome, people describe him as handsome. Um, and I think he, you know, he really, he explained things to her in a way that it, it made sense and didn't seem scary. You know, he didn't didn't tell her about much of his criminal history. Uh, when he described setting fire to this uh, previous building, you know, he said, oh, that was a place where they were selling drugs and I was, I was trying to do the community a favor. Um, and it was only, only much later that, anybody realized kind of what his past had been. And it had been, he'd been really in prison for most of his adult life. Uh, do we know kind of what his uh, imprisonment has been? I mean, obviously there was arson, but uh, was it violent criminal history or was it just petty thief or what? what would he oh, you know, it was everything. Um, you know, I went back, I ended up interviewing him a great deal, um, as well as another man who was a, a person of interest in the case. Um, person interest kind of being a, a euphemism these days for suspect. Uh, so William's history was uh, basically he he committed one of the strangest crimes I think when he he was born in Ohio and got married there I think at eighteen or nineteen and uh, realized or thought that his wife was cheating on him. So and he knew that if he wasn't locked up. He was going to do something he would regret. So he just drove across town and broke into someone's house. So he would he would get and this is this is his narration of events. But so he would get locked up to keep from from doing any harm to his wife. Uh, but then instead of instead of just going in and waiting for the police to arrive, he actually hid in a crawl space for a number of days in the house. You know, and he would come out when they were gone and and kind of almost seemed like kind of like act like he lived there. And then when they came home, he would go back into the crawl space. Um, so kind of just a peculiar, peculiar way of going about things. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think maybe because it was such a strange case that they really did kind of throw the book at him for that, that uh, breaking and entering charge. He was in prison, I think for 
pretty much eight years. Um, got out, and then just kind of a whole series of violations, everything, you know, from punching someone in the parking lot of a grocery store to cultivating marijuana to driving without a seatbelt and fishing without a license, you know. It just seemed like if it was possible to get in trouble for doing it, he was going to find a way. Yeah. But but he hadn't murdered before, or at least that we know. No, no. I mean, he he definitely shown some some very violent tendencies. Uh, there was an affidavit, the the thing I was describing earlier. There was an affidavit where uh, he had basically taken someone by the throat and said, "Why did you defy me?" Um, and that that is certainly you know any any time someone puts their hands around somebody else's throat, that's a a big signifier that they're they've got more serious intentions. Yeah, yeah. That's um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm not just saying that is like that's obvious, but there's really a, a connection between between choking and, and later homicide. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, so now, so she gets him out of prison, and uh, when when he came out of prison, okay, so they've got the apartment. Um, did he work for the motel again, even though she was living with him? Like, did the ex-husband say it was okay? He can come to work here, or how did that go? No, so he he was banned from the motel. Uh, he'd been working while in prison, so he'd saved up some money, um, which he was living on for a while. And he also he he's a I think I've said he's he's an interesting guy. He's a self-taught artist, and he was trying to make a living selling his paintings on the island, or not his paintings, his drawings on the island, um, which I think was as you might expect, maybe not going very well. Yeah. Uh, but he was, yeah. So he's an artist and woodworker, and he was trying to, trying to basically run his own business and, and make a living from that. Well, so um, how, so how long before um, he killed her, or she went missing officially? Like how, how long? Did yeah, it, yeah. How long did it last that it was kind of good in the apartment? Yeah, I don't want to, you know. Give it away. For the sake of, of readers, don't want to give give away exactly what happened because there, um, you know, the the case was very much until you know it took about the entire case took over five years to be resolved. Um, most people thought it was, there was never going to be a resolution, and during that time there were really three three men who most people were fairly sure one of them had done it. Uh, so. Should not cast. I shouldn't cast William Cumber in, in all of the the poor light here. Right. Uh, but it was it was only pretty much two months after they moved in together that she just one night disappeared. You know, no no body, no murder weapon, no real motive that anyone could identify for any of these these three men who were thought to be suspects or persons of interest. Um. So it was just extremely puzzling to the the sheriff's deputies yeah well so i mean of course the uh, estranged husband the boyfriend did she have another boyfriend or who can you tell us who's the third no no who's yeah, the third so this is, this is no well, yeah i can tell you who the third is he this is one of the things that made the case so strange so she disappears um on a tuesday night uh 
and she doesn't work on Wednesdays, so no one even realizes she's gone. And very, very early, like 3 a.m. Thursday morning, the police pull over this white Pontiac driving down uh, the street on the mainland. Uh, I think it had a tail light out or it had run a red light. They pull it over. They, you know, they run the license plate, find it, it belongs to this woman, Sabina Musil Bueller. And as they're doing all that, a man gets out from behind the steering wheel and runs away. <laughs> um, yeah. So they, you know, they bring in all the deputies and the dogs. They search this entire neighborhood for him and finally find him underneath this pickup truck. Um, this man named Robert Corona. And he tells them that, <clears throat> oh, yeah, of course, he, he had good reason to, to be in the car. He's been hanging out with Sabina Musil Bueller all night, and she gave him the car to, to go get some drugs. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, so that kind of, this is suddenly they realize, okay, well, they don't really know what's going on. They, they call this woman's husband to see what's, you know, if he has any idea about this, he says no, Sabina never would have left loan the guy in this car. They go and see the boyfriend. He says, well, you know, I haven't seen her in a couple of days. We had a fight a couple of days ago and she just stormed off. That's like her. She's very, very passionate. Um, and so they really didn't know what was going on or, or how to make heads or tails of this. And it wasn't until that Friday uh, when they've kind of had a chance to interview a bunch of people, they feel uh, fairly certain that this is not just a missing person's case. This is much more serious. They go and they look at this car, you know, they use luminol to, to check for blood. Um, and there is just a lot of blood on the car. Uh, there's blood in the trunk. There's blood on the passenger side seat uh, where it looks like, you know, a body was put in and pulled out again. Um, there's a place in the back seat that someone has covered up with, with stuff, but where the cushion has been cut away and this is all covered in blood. Um, and that's really when the investigation took a very kind of dark and, and sinister turn. Yeah, yeah, it would sound that way. Now, I can't figure out, so why did it take so long for them to resolve the case? Uh, did, did they not find the body? Or Exactly. So that was, that was really the kind of the, the ultimate mystery there. Um, you know, they, and I was in pretty close contact with the detectives working on this. Um, one of them actually retired in the middle of the case and then came back out of retirement just because this, this cold case was driving him crazy. <laughs> um, and they were just totally stumped. Um, you know, they felt certain that, that she'd been murdered. They felt certain that she was somewhere on this island. Uh, when I first went down there, one of the strangest things, they were out on the beach with a backhoe and a professor of archaeology and a bunch of cadaver dogs uh, just digging around, hoping that they might strike on a body, basically. Um, and they were just completely... I mean, they, they had a lot of ideas, and I, and I think they had a pretty good idea of what had happened by the end. But without a body, they, they were having such a hard time making a case. It, they, they were pretty... I don't know if this would be a good way, if it would be good to say what they were doing desperate, but Dave at one point in time brought me in and asked me if I would wear a wire and go and talk to one of these men and just very bluntly say, I'm not writing a book of nonfiction, I'm writing a book of fiction. And if, if 
he had buried the body anywhere, where would he have done it? In a book of fiction. <laughs> An O.J. Simpson method. <laughs> if I had yeah, exactly. Her, if I had killed her. Um, <clears throat> well, th okay, and then there's one. There's I, of course, didn't do that, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, now, but one thing that's curious is why was the motel burned? Because he didn't need to burn down the motel. So this is something, this was... This was kind of the, the driving question for me, actually, through a lot of this. You know, I could see why um, one of these men might, in, in like, a fit of rage or something, do something terrible yeah. uh, and commit a murder, right? Right. I couldn't understand why two weeks later, you know, two weeks have gone by. It's obvious the police have no clue what's going on. You know, after, like, the first 72 hours, there's almost no chance of finding a missing person. Um, so it seems pretty obvious whoever did it had gotten away with it, right? And yet, they're still so, they're still in such tumult, still so torn up about this thing that they feel obliged to go back to this motel and set it on fire. Um, that was so hard for me to wrap my mind around. Uh, and that's really kind of what, what drove a lot of the writing in the book, was trying to get into the psychology of the person who would do that. Yeah. Um, it, it seems weird. It's, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think you could ever, you could ever, give a black and white answer about that. Uh, I don't think that the person who did it ever really had a good answer for it in their own mind. Um, yeah, but I kind of think it has to do. Well, it's some sort of distraction. I was going to say distraction. I mean, I could see it if you had the body in there and you wanted to burn it, or if you had evidence to burn, and um, mm -hmm. unless I mean, there is, as it turned out. Go ahead. I was just going to say, unless it was someone that just didn't like the um, husband, and mm -hmm. you know, some maybe it was nothing to do with her. Maybe it was to do with him, and he had an enemy that burned him out, or something. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's there's other. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's kind of it's just strange. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of scenarios, you know, and and one of the fascinating things early on was that they, you know, they of course. The fire seems extremely suspicious, right? They're, they're looking very closely to make sure nothing was burned in there at, at a lot of pains to make sure there are no bones yeah. um, or anything like that, right? Um, and one of the strange things at first, that they thought that the uh, her pet parrot had been in there and that someone had taken it out before the fire was set and then set the fire, which if, you know, yeah. if that was the case... <laughs> It just shows such a strange set of logic, right? To to be so angry in one on one hand and so thoughtful on the other, or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of dynamics there. That's crazy. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So now, now, yeah. now that you've got this uh, under your belt, do you plan on doing more books? Is this kind of a future for you, or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean. I it's kind of what I what I studied in school and what I've always wanted to do. I don't I don't think I'll do this project certainly became uh a lot darker and more more personal to me than I had expected it to. You know, I you spend enough time interviewing people about these things, you know, and I would sit down, for instance, with the missing woman's brother and he would have all these photographs and we'd go through them and he'd tell me all about who his sister had been as a child and all this, and you could just see his jaw clenching and unclenching. Um, 
and you can only do so many of those before you you really start to feel affected yourself. And I was having these terrible, terrible nightmares about this, this missing woman. So I, I think the next project will be lighter. Yeah. <laughs> is is my my only hope. <laughs> yeah, it it well, you know. I can say it comes and goes. I've got uh six uh true crime books out on murders and uh, Oh wow. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, and it comes and goes. Um, cuz mm-hmm. the one that I'm finishing up for May actually uh had a big big impact on me but more in a positive way uh, than a negative. Because hmm. the other ones were always, you can get too much of that, uh, I don't know, what do you call hate and murder in your mind because you're going through it all. And like you said, meeting people and talking and researching. And, and you kind of get that real um, weird, you know, weird negati- negativity. And after a few books, mm-hmm. it's bad. But then all of a sudden you come across one book and you're doing it and... It makes you see things in a different light. I can say that this was because it was a very, it was a very hard case. But I'll tell you, um, it certainly, I, it's changed me for the good, not for the bad. It's the best. That's the best hmm. way I can cover it. So, you just never know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess I have to say, although it took some time getting there, I, I did feel the same way about this project. You know, in the end, kind of reflecting on this relationship and on my own. It certainly made me a better husband. <laughs> yeah, there's there's things you, know, you get out of it and you don't realize at the time. And then when you look back at it, you kind of go, wow. Or you change in some aspects, but you don't see it in yourself until later. And then you, when you're doing something, then it's, it's kind of, that's the best way I can say it. So not that I'm promoting writing murder books or crime books, but um, there's also a positive impact that you can get out of it. Um, uh, I, yeah, you yeah. Get, you know, there's a lot of people that throw the the negativity on it, but no, there's some, there is some good that can come from it. I I think I mean my my take on it is if you can recognize, uh, you know, if you look at the psychology of someone who's done something very bad, if you can recognize some features of your own psychology in there, uh, and and how you can improve yourself from it. That to me is, is kind of the the best possible thing you can take away from not just not just a book about crime, but about from any book. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot. Uh, there's it's a lot more complex than just killing. So, mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, if anything, killing is like the simplest part. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like just the end game, but there, there's there's so much more to it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so now your book is available now. It's uh, available everywhere, and of course, Amazon. And it's Love mm-hmm. and Death in the Sunshine State. And that's the story of a crime. And uh, that's brought to you by Cutter Wood. Um, thank you for taking the time, being on the show, and um, hopefully, we'll talk again. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.